The Fake Show podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Hutchison & Stephan, North Fifth Brewing Company, Threads of Envy, The Tone Factory Recording Studios, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. At a time when NASA is planning to build houses on the moon by 2040, inhabited by astronauts and ordinary citizens, and then to construct colonies on Mars, keeping in mind that a one-way trip to the Red Planet would take at least nine months. And while all of this stuff is going on, leading sci-fi writer Andy Weir has come up with some great space novels, starting with The Martian, which eventually turned into a motion picture starring Matt Damon. His latest, Project Hail Mary, is already starting production with Ryan Gosling as the lead. I've got Andy Weir on the line right now from his home in Southern California. Andy, welcome back to the program. I think the last time we spoke was to discuss your incredible book, The Martian. Since then, you've you've written Artemis. Refresh my memory, is that still in development as a film project? Because it's kind of uh, sketchy when you go to IMDb. It's always sketchy in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's still in development, but so are a million other films. You never yeah. know with Hollywood. Um, it's it's plodding along fairly slowly. The, they're working on it, but you never really know. Uh, whereas Project Hail Mary has been green-lighted and, and it's, you yeah. know, been funded and everything, so... That one, that one's being fast-tracked. <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk about that in a second. You are known, of course, for those familiar with your work for doing such great research that even NASA types are sometimes say, how did you know that? I mean, do you re- recall having the first conversations with them? Well, um, I, I, I mean, what I'll... During the uh, the height of the Martian, I did go and I went and s- spoke at NASA, and that was awesome because that was like my I got to be a rock star for like a week. Yeah. Of, you know, uh-huh. And that was awesome. And I did get a lot of people saying like, "Oh, how did you know this? Or how did you know that? How did you get this so accurate?" And the answer is just tons and tons of research. Yeah. <laughs> Fairly boring. A lot of people said like, "Well, how did you know what the internal culture at NASA is like so much?" And that. It was because I worked for a government research facility, uh, Sandia National Labs in Livermore, which was a Department of Energy facility studying all sorts of stuff. And so I just projected that onto NASA. I figured, ah, this federal government research, federal government research, they're probably similar. Turns out they are. <laughs> yeah. So, so were, is that what you were doing before you wrote The Martian or while you were writing that? Um, that was all long before I wrote The Martian. Uh-huh. Uh, for the bulk of my career, I was a computer programmer, software yeah. engineer, and that's what I was doing while I wrote The Martian. Project Hail Mary sounds so good. I've read several uh, samples, and basically what I'm getting is that there's space mold that can devour the sun's energy, which is devastating for those of us on Earth. So where did your research begin on this particular science story? Well, um, a lot of it is um, basically uh, between The Martian and Artemis, I was working on a different book that was going to be called Zhek, Z-H-E-K, and it was a right. soft sci-fi, more of a more of like a space opera almost thing. It had like, you know, it had faster than light travel and telepathy and, and all this other stuff. And I thought that was going to be my magnum opus. I thought that was going to be, oh, this is the awesomest thing ever. It's going to be like a seven, 73 book series, whatever. But I got about 70,000 words into it and realized that it sucked. And so... <laughs> really? 
Yeah, for reference, The Martian's about 100,000 words. <laughs> yes. In total. So um, I ditched it and then started a completely new book, Artemis. Uh, yeah, Artemis, and I'm really glad I did. But there were a few kernels of really good ideas, in my opinion, in Jack. One of them was a mass conversion fuel. Um, basically, the, some of the aliens had um, this... In, the, in, in Jack, it was called black matter. It was just this material that would absorb all electromagnetic wavelengths to make more of itself you just turns it turns energy into mass it's black matter and then if you applied a magnetic field to it it would release that energy as light and you could use that as propulsion so i thought wouldn't it be cool if we had some of that like just in modern day instead of the future or anything like that wouldn't it be cool and i thought like okay well what about a story that's just about that and then i thought well it's like we would not be able to make that with our current technology. There's no, I can't even invent a mad scientist who would be able to do that, right? Uh -huh. So I'm like, okay, what if it was found? What if we found like an alien spaceship like that had crashed into Earth like, you know, 500,000 years ago and we find that's its fuel source and we work from there? Like, okay, that's kind of interesting. But then I've got to explain what the aliens are, where, where they're from. And people would be like, well, tell me more about the aliens. I don't want to do that. And so I'm like, okay, well, what, and, and then I came up with the idea of like, well, this is basically a thing that takes energy and makes more of itself. That sounds like life. And I thought, okay, what if it's a life form? What if it's like a, a, a life form that needs all this energy because it migrates from star to star? And so it's like mold. And that's why it does all this. And I thought, okay, that, that works really well. And then if we got, you know, if, if, if humanity got a hold of that, you'd have this really cool power source. You could go around, we could colonize the solar system and everything like that. And I was like, oh, we'd have to make really, we'd have to be really careful not to let any of that crap get into our star because that would be disastrous. And then one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three uh -huh. Mississippi. Oh, wait, no, that's the story. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's the story. <laughs> it's amazing. And I can hear the excitement in your voice describing the process. I know that you learned a lot about neutrinos and other things like that oh. <laughs> as well. It's it's just fantastic, and, and I'm I always getting back to it. I mean, you must have just a great relationship with some of these particle physicists and the NASA guys now. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. And what's funny is for the neutrinos you mentioned, um, I had some questions about neutrinos, the detail, uh, some how they work. Because when I uh, I go way too far down the rabbit hole, I I, I go way too deep inventing things, and I. Uh -huh. I came up with the method by which astrophage stores so much energy and it stores it by creating neutrinos and then containing them and then um, mass annihilating them against each other to make light and all that stuff like that. And so I had a bunch of questions about neutrinos and by sheer ridiculous coincidence, um, a friend about, well, a, a classmate of mine from high school, we were in high school physics together, and then later we were in college together, though we didn't hang out that much when we were in college. We did go to the same college. He went on to become a doctor, a, a PhD, who's a particle physicist, and he was one of the team that won the Nobel Prize for helping narrow down the mass of a neutrino. Wow. And I'm like... I bet Chuck knows, his name is Charles Duba, Dr. Charles Duba. And I said, I bet Chuck knows some stuff about neutrinos. <laughs> so I got to talk to him about neutrinos. And he, he, of course, knows everything there is to know. And so I got lots of good information from him. And what's weird is, unlike all of my other scientific contacts, which all came out of, like, you know, the Martian and yeah. doing events at NASA uh -huh. and stuff like that, this is a guy I knew from high school. 
That's amazing. I, you know, I remember uh, in The Martian, I read that you built software to calculate the constant thrust trajectories for a spaceship's ion engine and and the more. The Rich Purnell maneuver, I, I calculated that. Does NASA ever think, why haven't we hired this guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so orbital dynamics is that field, is working out like um, doing orbital dynamics is what it's called when you're working out those trajectories and stuff like that. And the or the people who do it have a nickname. They're called slingers because they figure out how to get planets to throw things around for you so you don't have to spend as much fuel. And that's a whole field within NASA. And actually, the Rich Purnell Maneuver, which I portray as being really complicated and, oh, only the super genius Rich Purnell could have come up with it, is actually, by NASA's standards, really mundane. Like. Uh-huh. Like any any of the orbital dynamicists uh, who work for NASA would have been able to like come up with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, some sci-fi authors, though, you know, they make up some of the technical stuff, but that just doesn't work for you, does it? Well, I have to. At some point, I I, I say like, you know what? I'm gonna just make up some physics here, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so uh, for Project Hail Mary, the the fake physics is all the way down at the quantum level. Basically, um, astrophages store energy by keeping neutrinos within their cell membrane. Like the neutrinos are bouncing around in there. And neutrinos actually are famously difficult to contain. You have about 100 trillion neutrinos passing through you right now every second. They just get spewed out by the sun. They'll pass clean through the entire planet Earth without hitting a single atom. So having just a thin, like, biological cell membrane that can somehow magically contain them is probably impossible and certainly not explained. (laughs) For your second novel, Artemis, you figured out how lunar settlers could make oxygen and aluminum. How did you figure that out? And and again, is it something where you just, and you say it's boring stuff, but... (laughs) Just deep research, because I just love that stuff. Well, that was a lot of fun for me. Uh, Artemis um, is my least popular book, also known as Andy Weir's other book. But uh, (laughs) I I had a great time designing the city itself. And yeah, Uh uh, so the idea is that um, the minerals on the moon, just out on the surface of the moon, the rocks, are mostly aluminum and oxygen. They're mostly aluminum oxide. They're they're minerals that have high aluminum and oxygen content in them. And so if you smelt that, then you end up with elemental aluminum and elemental oxygen and other stuff. And so it's actually, the the moon is made of moon bases with some assembly required. It gives you metal to make your moon base and oxygen to fill it. So much oxygen, in fact, that you'd just be venting it. You would you would have more than you know what to do with. You'd have to get rid of it. And that I am not remotely the first person to come up with that. People have noticed that ever since the uh, the first like Apollo missions came back and they were analyzing the rocks, they're like, hey, this is cool. So there's actually. Plenty, uh, lots and lots of people have come up with ideas on how to use uh, ISRU, in-situ resource utilization. In other words, use the rocks on the moon to make a base on the moon. Lots of people have been coming up with ideas for that. So I'm not innovative on that at all. I just did it you know, my own way and had fun doing it. Uh, Project Hail Mary has gotten such great reviews. It's out there in New York Times bestsellers list. Um, and it's been so good. It's exciting, too, hearing that the producers from The Martian, 
uh, and screenwriters of The Martian are on board, and Ryan Gosling is attached, yeah? That's right, yep. Uh, uh, Drew Goddard, the uh, lovely and talented Drew Goddard, who wrote the screenplay for The Martian, wrote the screenplay for Project Hail Mary. I mean, it's written, and um, it's gone through revs, and it's looking great. Uh, Ryan Gosling is uh, attached to play the lead. Yep, he's on board. It's all it's all come together. We still have to cast the rest of the roles, but that'll that'll come soon. Hoping to shoot it this year. Oh, sorry, not this year. Next year. This Good. year only has a few days left. Yeah. <laughs> as we record the, I'm not sure when it'll air, but as we record this, it's, it's still December. <laughs> it's coming soon enough. I mean, uh, this is pretty good. Game of Thrones writer George R. R. Martin says of your novel, quote, Weir writes some of the hardest hard science fiction. No one does it as well as he does. That's pretty good praise, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful to George for, for saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a recurring theme in, in your stories, and I've I read the first two, seems to be isolation. I get it. It's space. But is there something from your life, maybe your early life, that where that comes from or you write about isolation? Well, um, first off, it does make the story easier because I don't don't need to deal with a bunch of complicated character interactions. It's just a person versus nature. Yeah. And so a person being isolated ups the stakes because if something goes bad, there's no safety net. And also it 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 kind of simplifies the writing. So I admit it's a bit of a cheat. As for my personal mm. life, well, yeah, I was um, you know, truth be told, I was I was kind of a lonely kid. And uh so Growing up, I you know used my imagination a lot, but I was but I was on my own because we moved around a lot. I, I didn't make yeah. a lot of friends very quickly. So yeah, I'm sure that if you dug deep into my psychology, you'd probably find something there. <laughs> and Hail Mary, it's really interesting to me that we have to develop new life saving technology. It's eerily like the COVID pandemic, but you actually wrote a first draft of that before COVID became rampant, I, right? I was I had not just a. You, like I, the book was complete before COVID yeah. hit. Yeah. Um, and then COVID slowed everything down, which is the book didn't get published until something like 14 months after the, after it was done. Like we'd finished all the edits and everything. It was, it was ready to go. But then COVID hit, of course it shut everything down, including, you know, printing facilities and everything. So but yeah, I'd, I'd written the entire thing before COVID hit. A- anyone who, uh, I, I do occasionally see people saying like, oh, we're as clearly, you know, referencing the COVID pandemic. I'm like, uh-huh. no, I'm, I swear I wasn't. It, <laughs> it hadn't happened yet. <laughs> have, you, or, or, have you developed any TV projects or are people coming at you now to, to do something on, uh, you know, Max or some of the other networks? Um, well, I mean, I'm always, uh, I have pitched, uh, various TV shows in the past. Um, after, after the Martian came out, I did pitch a show called, uh, Mission, um, uh, not Mission Impossible, Mission Control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. Uh-huh. It was Mission Control and the main characters were all the flight controllers at NASA for, uh, for a fictional new space station that was being built. And I wanted it to be like a mystery of the week, like a science mystery of the week show, yeah. kind of like how, kind of like House MD was, you know? Sure. It's like a medical mystery. And so we did that. We even got funded by CBS to make a pilot. We made the pilot, but CBS passed on it. So mm. that's what happened there. I, I have an idea for a show that I want to pitch to Amazon Prime. It remains to be seen if they'll be interested. But um, a lot of people ask, um, hey, what was going on back on Earth while um, the main character was doing his thing in Project Hail Mary? And I was going to write. Uh, I wanted to pitch a TV show, a streaming show to Amazon Prime 
uh, about that. Now, why Amazon Prime? Because Amazon owns MGM, which owns the film rights to yes. Project Hail Mary. Yeah. So it would have to be Amazon Prime because it's it's a derivative work. Is it bad luck to talk about the next novel that you're working on? Is that something that's you're in uh, the midst of? I generally don't like to talk. I am working on my next novel um, about, I don't know, maybe 10 to 12,000 words into it. So it's early days yet like 10% of the way through a first draft. But um, I don't like to talk about stuff I'm working on because I might yeah. abandon it in favor of another idea. Right. Um, I like this one. I think it's going to work out, but I never really know until I'm a good way through the book whether or not it's going to stick. Like like I mentioned earlier, there was that one book, Jack, and I got 70,000 uh -huh. words in and said, like, hey, this is not working. And as we're recording this interview, the latest James Webb Space Telescope images are giving us a look at an exploded star. It's it's showing details of, I don't know if you saw the, the pictures of it today, but of the expanding shell of material slamming into the gas shed by the star before it exploded. Now, is that the type of thing where you go, hmm... I could do something with that. Well, I, I hadn't seen that yet. So it's the first time hearing about that. Um, it's been a fairly chaotic week for me. Um, <laughs> so I don't know that that it's weird what ends up inspiring me like um, that. I don't know what I could do with that because that's such a cosmic scale event, you know. Yeah. But when I find out things like, hey, did you know Mars has lightning? You know, that that that's the sort of thing that. That gives me ideas, right? Uh -huh. Like, yeah. I wish I had known when I wrote The Martian that Mars has lightning. I, I didn't know that. I right. would have had the initial problem be, like, caused by a lightning strike instead of a sandstorm, because the sandstorm is unrealistically strong in The Martian. It's 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 inaccurate to real science. But a lightning strike could really happen, and I could have made yeah. that be, you know, event one and a sequence of failures that led to them having to leave me behind and so on. And by the way, when I read your books, Andy, there's a lot of science, but... You explain it so well that I don't have a problem with any of the text. And if I do, I look it up and I feel like I've learned something new. Well, hopefully you don't have to look too much up. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so for me, science is so central to my stories. I want to get it right. But that also means that the reader needs to understand it in order to get what's going on in the plot. And for me, the trick is, so this stuff is just really awesome to me, and I could prattle on about it all day. But for me, the trick is like, okay, just tell the reader what they need to know. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. don't go down nine different rabbit holes that don't matter. Just uh -huh. tell them what they need to know to understand what's going on in the plot and no more. <laughs> uh, and by the way, your audiobooks are also fantastic. Great narrators, interesting yeah. sounds that go along with it. You must be happy with that. Yeah, the uh, project, I mean, they're all great. Uh, we had Rosario Dawson for uh, do um, Artemis. Many people now know as Ahsoka. <laughs> uh -huh. um, right. And then uh, the original uh, version of The Martian was um, R.C. Bray, who's a great narrator. And then uh, due to a rights issue, uh, we had to re-record it, and it was Will Wheaton. So huh. we've had some great narrators. Yeah. Uh, Ray Porter did Project Hail Mary, and PHM uh, is just a fantastic audiobook. They did such a good job with the production. Like the, so excellent voice acting, of course, but then there's like special effects there's sound effects in the background yeah. and stuff like that 
one of the I don't want to get too deep into it because I don't want to get too spoilery, but there's a character that has a very unique and interesting voice. And the way that they did that was cool in the audiobook. Nice. Well, it, what a great Christmas gift for everybody. Project Hail Mary. It's on the New York Times bestsellers list, available everywhere, including Amazon, of course. Andy Weir, it's always great to catch up with you. I'm glad to hear that you're very busy and, and good luck with the production of that film. I know you're a producer on that. I am, yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, and thanks for having me. Thanks so much and happy holidays. Thanks, you too. The Martian, Weir's book debut, has already sold five million copies in North America. And it sounds like he's got another great one in the works following Project Hail Mary. That ends this episode of the Fake Show Podcast. I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks for checking us out. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.